Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On this week's program, Alexandra Ruiz Castillo discussed the film Home Truth. She speaks with filmmakers and she talks to them about their new film, which is a powerful documentary about domestic violence and how the trauma from these tragedies can linger through generations. We also commemorate Ayotzinapa. La Raza Chronicles joins the international commemoration of the fourth anniversary of the disappearance of 43 Mexican students with a moving poem taken from an interview by Nina Serrano with the poet Carlos Barron. Julieta Kuznid interviews Eli Jacobs Fantauzi from Defend Puerto Rico to talk about recovery efforts and cultural resistance on the island one year after Hurricane Maria. He also talks about his Fistup Film Festival that's happening this upcoming weekend. And last but not least, we bring you a calendar of upcoming events and lots of musica. Listen and enjoy. I was asked when the uh, killing and disappearance, quote-unquote disappearance, of the 43 students from Ayotzinapa in Mexico took place in, in Guerrero to write about one of them. And they gave me a name, Martin Getsemani Sanchez Garcia, a 21-year-old kid. And that's all. So I researched a little bit what I could. There's not enough about a 20-year-old campesino from uh, Mexico to be Googled. From a rural Yeah, school. from a rural community, considered the enemy by the government. So, But I learned a great deal about him, and I was lucky to even find a picture of his mother. So I imagine what happened to him. Uh, this is it. Martin. Martin, your mother called out. Martin, Martin, your mother called out. Go and scare off the rabbits. They're eating the alfalfa. Martin... Martin Getsemani, Getsemani, your biblical middle name from the Garden of Getsemani at the Mount of Olives, where Judah's hypocritical kiss betrayed Jesus and handed him to Caesar's warriors. Your mother's lengthy call warned your wild rabbit ears, and that Getsemani, Martin Getsemani, would wake you from the reverie you were often mired in. You could no longer continue to be swathed in the delicious drowsiness of the sunny days in the fields of your childhood. Your mother's singular call meant urgency. She would use Getsemani those times when there was a nearly serious need, such as when dusk had fallen and your shadow had yet to cross the threshold of the modest ranch. On when you disappeared all day to fall asleep on the warm earth of the rancherío de Zumpango del Rio, because <laughs> you were a big old sleepyhead, Martin Getsemani. Well, a truly big dreamer. Don't deny it. Back then, you, Martin Getsemani Sanchez Garcia, would leave the warm cradle of earth where you would look at the passing of the few clouds that cross your sky and answer loudly, I'm on my way, Ma. I'm coming. This is how your cousin tells it with her coarsened voice. Yeah, my cousin Martin was always asking questions. A dreamer. Perhaps that's why they treated him that way. Everybody's voice in your family has coarsened Martin, calling out your name day and night, yelling, praying and begging. Where are you, Martin Getsemani? Why aren't you answering? I've known dreamers such as you, people whose singing summoned a brighter day, perhaps only in their own imagination. Beloved ghosts, still full of life, 
full of dreams, of ideas, of questions, of their will to live and to share themselves. She surely spent hours upon hours playing among the lemon trees or in the alfalfa fields of this small family ranch, training your tiny roly-poly circus, those minuscule shiny black bugs of soil that rolled up like small silent accordions whenever they felt threatened. It's true, Martin spoke to those roly-polies, I swear, and I think those little bugs, they recognized his voice, because when they heard him, they would stop twisting themselves into tiny balls and start running inside a little box that Martin had found somewhere. Hi, Martin. Martin gets him an e. Was that the reason you wanted to become a teacher? You wanted to rise beyond the hills, to run, to dance, to dream, and to fly. You didn't want to be a fearful roly-poly. You wanted to fly, to dream of faraway places, and then return to teach others how to fly and dream, your friends in the fields of Guerrero, so many who could not even dream. The dream of the poor is constrained because their reality is constrained. That's how the powerful prefers it. That's how the owners of all decide it should be. Oh, Martin, you remind me of, of the verse in a beautiful and sad cantata written for others like you. It's dangerous to be poor, my friends. To be poor is dangerous, my friends. Dangerous. The revolution claimed that earth belongs to those who work its fields, but it didn't turn out to be so true, not, in, not only in Guerrero, but throughout the world. Few dare gain, say the owners and the bosses. It is dangerous to question. It is addictive, contagious, and subversive. That has been proclaimed by gods and bosses from the beginning of time, in Guerrero and also in the Brazilian favelas, in the Chilean shanty towns, in the Gaza ghettos, or in the barrios of Oakland and San Francisco. To ask, to protest, to demand, to think, and even to love can be very costly. Martin Getsemani Sanchez Garcia arrived at a rural teacher's training college in Ajotzinapa, shouldering dangerous questions. The college was one of the many created by the Mexican Revolution to plant elementary school teachers in the furrows of the farm workers. The Escuela Normal, or Teachers College, as Ajotzinapa, was always combative. During the 50s and 60s in Guerrero, men like Genaro Vázquez and Lucio Cabañas graduated from there, exemplary activists murdered by the government. The critics, the critics grunt, Oh, it's more than a school. It's a breeding ground for guerrilla fighters. It's a place that fosters hate and social class resentment. Those students are delusional farm workers who intend to reach the sky. <laughs> who do they think they are? That's what their prayers are for. They can reach the heavens with them. Martin Getsemani came to that school, leaving the alfalfa fields and the lemon trees behind. Those fields that his family continues to sow to earn a few coins. The fifth son of eight children, he was thirsty for knowledge, willing to wring the sum of doubts and hopes that flooded his soul. There was such a thirst of knowledge, so much curiosity, so many hopes of reaching higher that the bosses who still rule your aching Mexican homeland were suspicious. You barely lived in that school for a month. The scents of alfalfa and lemon had yet to fade from your only pair of pants and your two shirts. That 
activity you went with more than 50 of your schoolmates was your first time participating in the tasks of solidarity, those chores your school considered essential for you, the future teachers. On that faithful September of 2014, you were heading to Mexico City, joyful, heading to the great capital of your country to remember the many young people massacred in the Plaza de Tlatelolco in 1968. But you did not get far. Hatred and cruelty laid a trap for you which you couldn't escape. That night in the jail, all turned into flames. It became smoke. It became eternal. Teacher, Marcin Getsemani, you have not died. Those 43 dreamers have not died. Many have already said, yes, they burned them and then dumped them into a river. But if they spread your ashes on the soil of Guerrero, it's almost as if they had planted them. New seeds will spring forth from your ashes. New voices cheer your names in many languages. Throughout the world, songs are written, vivid images are painted, poems are written. There is dancing, there is running, there is dreaming. The battle is had with your memory on our minds, helping you to live. You know what, Marcin Getsemani? I firmly believe that on that fateful day when you were betrayed by cruel compatriots, you had four or five roly-polies in your pocket. Come on, didn't you? Maybe you looked them, maybe you took them out to bring you luck, to go on that outing and share the adventure you had taken, talked to them about so often when you would fall asleep on the warm earth of your childhood. Isn't that true? Of course. Oh, one last thing, Martin. Send your mom a sign, because her disconsolate voice continues to be heard like before. Martin! Martin, where are you, boy? Answer me, Martin! Martin, get semani! But you haven't answered her. She hears only the whistling wind. Let her know that that whistling is your caress, that you are the wind. And when she recognizes your voice and the wind, I'm coming, Ma, I'm coming. Perhaps she will be able to rest, and so will you. Thank you, Carlos Baron. This has been just a marvelous session, and I hope you'll come back to KPFA and share more of your wonderful work. Thank you so much. I wanted to give credit for the translation to Marcy Valdivieso, who did a wonderful job. She did. <laughs> So, please come back to La Raza Chronicles here Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Vivo sin ataduras, aunque vivo a duras penas. Tengo miedo a las alturas. La fama marea, que es lo que te choca de mí. Yo siempre ando low key, observe ese hate en ti Que hace que tu visión se bloquea Y desde mi mente bombardea La esperanza tambalea La fe me pone de pie en el mundo de afuera No sobrevive cualquiera, suerte de seguir aquí En la jungla de asfalto, poniendo mi voz en lo alto Causando un impacto, soy la gota que derramó el vaso No me tumbó ni un fracaso, subimos paso a paso Ya no puedes ignorarlo, soy la gota que derramó el vaso No me tumbó ni un fracaso Subimos paso a paso y no puedes evitarlo. Hey. Se tambalea, todo se tambalea. Todo se tambalea, todo se tambalea. 
En el universo no hay coincidencia No entiendo por qué tú ves la diferencia Tú crea la guerra y yo resistencia Culpable hasta demostrar mi inocencia Religiones que buscan penitencia De aquel que se opone a lo que ellos imponen Hay miedo que existan otras opciones Porque el corazón no entiende de razón Vas a cuestionarme, apuntarme un dedo Ligera me muevo, no me importa un bledo Hago lo que quiero en estilo sexedo Fuck tu dinero, mi arte es primero Fuck tu dinero, mi estilo es sincero Empezamos de cero Tú me hiciste de menos ayer pero yo me aferré El tope es el cielo Tambalea, todo se tambalea Porque soy tu verdad, soy tu verdad Y tú no me conoces, tú me rechazaste Porque soy tu verdad Todo lo que hago, lo que hago por ti Aunque tú tengas pena de mí Yo te conozco desde antes De que la gente creyera Que todo lo que tú haces Es un proyecto de Dios Es un proyecto de Dios Es un proyecto de Dios Todo se tambalea, todo se tambalea against women, particularly intimate partner violence, is a major public health problem and a violation of women's rights. According to the United Nations Women Division, it is estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical and or sexual violence at some point in their lives. Globally, as many as 38% of women murder are killed by their intimate partners. The United States, however, is no different. According to the California Department of Women's Health, about one in four women have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. My name is Alexandra Ruiz, and today on La Raza Chronicles, we're going to talk about the film Home Truth. 
a new powerful documentary based on the story of the domestic violence activist Jessica Gonzalez Lenahan, who has been fighting for justice after her three daughters were murdered when her husband abducted them in a violation of a restraining order. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, it's my pleasure. The film Home Truth presents how society responds to domestic violence and how the trauma from these tragedies can linger through generations. We are also happy to welcome one of the filmmakers, Katya Mawire. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's start with you, Jessica, first. What does this movie mean for you and for your fight against domestic violence? I think my fight against domestic violence is has been over as a person for a very long time. But as a mother and, I don't know, I kind of feel like the mother of human rights advocacy for women, right? Um, because it feels like that is where the need is the most. And so I feel sort of responsible, you know, to empower women to be able to find how to use these mechanisms in the human rights network for themselves and their children, their family. And Jessica, what, what do you think is the main strategy to reduce violence against women? I think that it's becoming more and more understood in the way of, you know, gender violence and that I believe women have been tolerating mental and physical abuse for so long, for all of history, right? And now women are so tired of being abused and victimized and re-victimized that now we're starting to stand up and they're, they consider us the abusers because we stand up for our rights. And, you know, if we're protecting ourselves, then we become the abusers. And so it seems to me that the re-victimization is still there because even you know now that we're empowered in this day and age with all the knowledge that we have now we're looking like we're combative and that we are the uh the, the people making the assault rather than you know the the other partner for instance so it's always a struggle for women's rights to be able to just uphold your own right to be protected, right? Mm. And without it looking like uh, an aggressive behavior on, on your husband and that the husbands now are going, oh, I'm victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, but they've got no scratch on them. They've got no sign of abuse. Um, and so it's always a struggle, I think, for women to claim their rights to be treated equally and fair. And what's your advice for those women who have been suffering this kind of violence? You know, knowledge is power. And we all know what it is like to be, uh, how it feels to be hit or, you know, told something that is totally against everything that you believe to be true, right? And um, it's, it's hard to tell people, fight for your rights when... They don't even realize that their rights are being violated, that this is their norm. And, uh, you know, it, it's teaching how to be human instead of a, a number and owned by our government that we're individuals and, and we're human beings before we're 
a number in the system. Thank you, Jessica. Now, I want to ask Kadia Mawire. Um, the movie Home Truth was filmed over the course of nine years. What was your process to capture the intimate moments in Jessica's life and her family? Um, yeah, so I think as filmmakers, as documentary filmmakers, we felt very lucky that we have an approach and a process that's different than the approach or process that a, a newspaper writer or somebody who reports news on the nightly news would have. We have the privilege to be in So um, we started the film, we talked to Jessica about and really just kind of embedded ourselves in her life and the life of her family um, and were there with our cameras during your moments to uh, observe how the story unfolded. Um, so that was really our approach was to take a very, very personal look, to use the documentary form and to use the kind of assembly over the course of many years to tell a story. Um, and for us, it was a real honor to be able to have the opportunity to exercise that process. You know, it's quite unique to be able to see how a story unfolds over a long period of time. What were the most challenging moments in this production? Um, I would say some of the most challenging moments, as usual, uh, would be just being able to be there for all the moments as life unfolds. We made a lot of trips to Colorado. We're based in Brooklyn, New York, um, but we made a lot of trips to Colorado. Sometimes we'd miss major events. Sometimes we wouldn't. So, it, you know, logistically speaking, that's always a challenge in documentary filmmaking. And then um, I would say that another challenge is just the, you know, hard parts of being so deeply embedded in this story and hearing about some of the hardest moments in somebody's life and being able to have a c continual conversation about what the film is, what the process is doing to the person that you're filming with and how you're navigating what the expectations are while you're in the midst of the filmmaking process. So we always just wanted to, you know, be very clear with Jessica that she was giving us really, really intimate personal information. And, you know, we were going to be very rigorous with our research and making sure that we told the story in a way that was responsible and, you know, well, uh, well thought out and would really do her story justice and do justice to the topic of domestic violence. What do you want people to live with after watching the documentary? Um, I would say there are two things. The first thing is to um, listen to survivors and to really allow survivors to tell their own story. I think a huge part of the story was that Jessica, her process going in the U.S. legal system was one that she never got her day in court. She never got to tell her story before a panel of judges in the United States. The case got to the Supreme Court on a motion to dismiss, so she never... Um, was able to be in court. Um, the facts of the case were never examined in court. Um, so when she got to the Inter-American Commission, it was a really powerful moment for her to be able to have the opportunity to sit across from the U.S. government and tell them what had happened to her in front of the commissioners. 
So I think the importance of survivors being able to tell their own story and the importance of listening to survivors, listening to how their lives have been affected from telling their story. Because it's not only, the film isn't only about, you know, Jessica's strength in being able to tell this story. It's also about how becoming an advocate has affected her. And Jessica was always really open with us in telling us about the ways that it was hard to continue this advocacy. So I think it's really important that we listen to survivors and understand how much it costs them to tell their stories and really honor that um, when we're listening. Um, And then the second thing is, um, I think a beautiful part of our story is Jessica's relationship with her son and how, you know, despite having gone through something so hard, they both keep in it, keep at it continue to try to keep the relationship going. And I think that's incredibly inspiring and admirable and, you know, shows that both of them, um, despite sometimes feeling distant from each other, still kind of reach their hand out and continue to try to connect. So I think it's important to understand how domestic violence tragedies not only affect, you know, the, the other person in the relationship, but also Uh, other people in the family, children who witness domestic violence and how trauma can really affect generations. And Katia, how can people watch this film and how they can support your work? Uh, Yeah, I would say go to our website. You can, um, if you're interested in bringing the film to your community to screen, you can contact us through our website. Jessica is also available um, as a speaker to speak with the film. So if um, communities are interested in creating events with the film, um, they can contact us uh, through our website in order to do that. And then I would say also, if you're interested in ways that you can help the movement to end violence against women, there's some really great organizations that you can reach out to to find out more information about doing that. Um, There's the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, We're actually there today uh, presenting the film. Um, and uh, they have great resources on our website, uh, on their website, rather. Um, There's also End Violence Against Women International. It's a great organization about combating violence. Yep, and the National Network to End Domestic Violence as well. There's two major coalitions that I, I, if I were to, you're right, if I were going to call on either, it would be NNEDV or NCADV. Thank you so much, Jessica Gonzalez-Lenahan and Katia Mowire for bringing us this powerful documentary. Thanks so Thank much. You. It's Thank been a pleasure. For taking, yeah, for taking the interest in, and the time for us as well. Thank you. Jessica Gonzalez-Lenahan became the first domestic violence survivor to bring a case against the United States before an international human rights tribunal. In 2011, in a landmark decision, the International Commission found the United States responsible for human rights violations against Jessica and her three deceased children. The film Home True can be seen on PBS station throughout this month of October in conjunction with the Hispanic Heritage Month and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The film can be also available for free streaming on pbs.org. That's pbs.org. Thank you so much, Jessica Gonzalez-Lenahan and Katia Maguire, for bringing to La Raza Chronicles this powerful documentary.
Sandra, Pamela o Valentina Yo puedo ser tu gran amiga, incluso tu compañera de vida Yo puedo ser tu gran aliada, la que aconseja y la que apaña Yo puedo ser cualquiera de todas, depende de cómo tú me apodas Pero no voy a ser la que obedece, porque mi cuerpo me pertenece Yo decido de mi tiempo, cómo quiero y dónde quiero Independiente yo nací, independiente decidí Yo no camino detrás de ti, yo camino de la para ti vas a humillar, tú no me vas a gritar, tú no me vas a someter, tú no me vas a golpear, tú no me vas a denigrar, tú no me vas a obligar, tú no me vas a silenciar, tú no me vas a callar. No sumisa ni obediente, mujer fuerte, insurgiente, independiente y valiente, romper la cadena de lo indiferente, no pasiva ni oprimida, mujer linda que la vida, emancipada en autonomía, antipatriarca y alegría. Chronicles, and we are lucky to have a spotlight on what is happening on the island. It's been about a year since Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, and there's been so much coming together to rebuild. There's also much to be done. We're lucky to have on the line with us Eli Jacobs Pantauzi. He is not only one of the co-founders of Defend Puerto Rico, but he's also the founder of uh, Fist Up Productions, which creates a beautiful film festival that highlights struggle and really brings a lot of great information around people who are doing culture work and all kinds of work to address imperialism in many, many ways. Eli, thank you so much for being on the line with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back on KPFA. So, Eli, you have been coming and going and really, you know, you yourself are your Puerto Rican, so you're, you've been really dedicated to this issue, and we've had you on the show talking about what you've seen and what you've experienced but can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what you see now since... I'm here now. Tell us a little bit about people you're talking to, the stories you're hearing now, since you've made so many trips and worked on so many projects in the last year. So I just want to start off by saying I came out with the help of the Bay Area. They filled up my house with donations, about 36 boxes and some money. And um, I hit the island for one week 
to document as a part of a group called PR on the Map. And when I came here, I saw so much devastation and so much people suffering that I ended up staying here on the island. So I've been here over a year now. And what I've seen after, after one year is that we're still in the same position. We're seeing neglect from the government. We all heard Trump saying that he gave himself a 10 out of 10. We saw our governor here, Vicky Roseo, trying to like hold up Trump and be his friend and smile and say thank you and like you're doing the best job ever. And then we saw recently when they published the death tolls totally turning against him. So after the governor tried to like cuddle and be his friend, it, it didn't work to his advantage at all. And that the United States government is still denying the death toll here in Puerto Rico. And in terms of building, uh, not enough money, not enough resources, and the amount of money coming in isn't getting to the people on the ground doing the work. So that's basically an overview. You still have so many houses, tens of thousand houses still without adequate shelter, without roofs, people without electricity, and the, the whole electrical system is out of whack and needs to be rebuilt. And so what, what we've been saying from the beginning is that we need to decentralize, we need solar power, we need to be off of a, of a central grid, we need to think about sustainability moving forward in the future of Puerto Rico. I'm speaking to Eli jacobs Fantauzi. He is one of the co-founders of Defend Puerto Rico. And along with that project specifically, You all were involved in some of the rebuilding with some of the actual materials as well as money donated. And, you know, a lot of people, the diaspora really came through. It sounds like a lot of people really came together to to donate. And you got to connect with people doing pretty amazing work on the island. Can you tell us, um, last time we talked, you talked to us about some of the cultural programs, how you were showing films and how people were going to places that had not really received any help at all and had help were helping with rebuilding. Can you tell us what are the ways that you've seen that people from Puerto Rico who live on the island or people from the diaspora have done their best to cut through this red tape or to re- reach out a hand to help their hermanos y hermanas, their people on the island? It's been beautiful to see the Puerto Rican diaspora come to the island and really step up in a time of need. So that's been beautiful and I've seen so much work being done by people on the ground, people that really don't have a lot of resources but have time, energy, and strength to, to help rebuild. Some of the projects that I'll tell you about, the one that you were mentioning is called Cine Solar. So when I came, I brought a little solar power generator with a projector, and we went around the island showing movies. We just relaunched that project again recently. It was called Stories of Survival with story shift and working films, and we went around the island showing also shorts from New Orleans because they suffered Hurricane Katrina and also from Texas. So we're talking about the Gulf and how we need to learn from each other and have each other in mind and share strategies. And it was very successful, and we look forward to continuing that project. So we have the solar cinema still up and running, and, and that's a great one. That one was created with Coco de Oro, one of our collaborators with Defend Puerto Rico, who's also working in Comerio, where we're rebuilding homes. A lot of my community in the Bay Area helped donate to our crowdfunding campaign. We raised over $10,000, and with that money, we rebuilt Joanna and Chino's home. We rebuilt Malisa's rooftop and Blanca's rooftop. 
and then the community voted on the next five houses that we were rebuilding. That was with the help of La Maraña, which is an amazing women-led organization here on the island. And we just got back yesterday from Miami. We brought the youth from Comedio that are organizing and changing their community and their lives to Miami with 1,500 youth talking about immigration, talking about their rights, and letting the world know that they're the future of the country. So it's been an amazing journey. Um, a couple of other groups that I'll mention are Calle Salud, which I'm a part of the Maria Fund um, that's given millions of dollars back to the island. And Calle Salud is in Loisa, which is a women-led organization. And they were able to give like immediate assistance to 20,000 people in the community. And another amazing organization called El Hel Ocho, which is like El Caño Martín Peña, when you fly into Puerto Rico, where you see all those blue tarps. And so these folks gave 15,000 people direct and immediate relief. And there are so many other organizations I can mention that are really on the ground doing the work. So if people want to get involved or people want to send money or resources, make sure you're tapping into those people doing the work every day from the bottom up not from the top down. Eli, so you have been doing just that with Defend Puerto Rico. It's really been working with the bottom up and telling these stories. And something that's so important about the storytelling that you all have done along with supporting these groups, you're actually documenting the way that they are transforming Puerto Rico because they're building coalitions, they're addressing so many things that the government is not addressing. But a key piece of the storytelling that you do is that you put things in a context where people understand that this is not a natural disaster, that it's a result of colonial practices and imperialist policies. Can you tell us a little bit about either a video you've created or people you've talked to or projects that you've seen on the island that aren't just really approaching this from a aid perspective, but are approaching this from a how do we decolonize our experience with the U.S. perspective? Definitely. Um, You said it perfectly. We believe the first hurricane was colonialism, and we believe that Hurricane Irma and Maria just ripped off the masks, and the world was able to see what our situation on the island really is. If half of the country wasn't living in poverty, then it wouldn't have blown off so many roofs. It wouldn't have killed so many people. And so it's definitely the root is colonialism, and the disaster that we saw is because of that hurricane and the, the lack of infrastructure and, and the poverty that exists. So there are groups doing amazing work. I can mention Ajiate that has an amazing scroll that they go to different communities and talk about the history of the island up to the current day events. There are people like Papel Machete that are do these huge masks and represent different people and some of our history and some of our heroes and sheroes. There are people like Calle Libertad and Mayagüez that are, are doing continual cedar projects for the youth going into the community, getting the kids involved to talk about their experience and their trauma and let it out and, and create to start creating that healing process. And I think that's where we are this one year after Maria is really a time when people are finally willing to open up. They've been just trying to get their family together and, and their living situation together. And after this one year has gone by, people are finally willing to tell their story and say, you know, that this has been traumatic for me. 
and and what's the best way to move forward. So Eli, you are coming back to the Bay and you're going to be here sharing a really incredible festival that you've been putting on for now. What year is it for this festival? The ninth. Ninth year. Can you believe it? Nine years. That just flew by. So every year you bring so many gems and it is an opportunity for people not just to learn about things and be inspired by stories they wouldn't hear otherwise, but also connect with other folks that are doing really incredible work. So it's more, I would say it's a festival that has a very strong social element as well. Um, The connecting piece is really big about it too. So tell us about this year's festival. Definitely. We believe, you know, you could watch a film in your home. This film is about connecting people and the power of coming together, listening to stories and sharing our own stories. So that's why we created a festival. One of the major reasons behind it is to bring our community together and and discuss what's happening so that we could think about how we want to move forward, learn from other communities around the world, other strategies, and see how we can implement them locally. So this year's festival is dedicated to the island of Bodingen and stories from Bodingen. So we're telling stories of Puerto Rico. And we're starting on the 12th, that's this Friday, uh, with the opening night. We have Juan, who's a a filmmaker here in Puerto Rico, who's going to be talking about his work. We have a bunch of short films that we, we just talked about, talking about the realities of Puerto Rico. And I'll be sharing some of the work. The San Puerto Rico has been doing, along with La Maraña and Coco de Oro. And it's a report back. One year ago, we were at Gallery E14, right, in downtown Oakland. And, and that's where we got a lot of the money to come back to the island and give it to the, to the people that need it most. So we're back in the same space one year later sharing these stories. And I've been here in Puerto Rico for a year, so it feels wonderful to be able to come back and share these stories with my community. We're also sharing the, the film Billy Bedso, who was assassinated, murdered by the CIA um, in his home with his wife on Grito de Lares, the day that we celebrate independence and our struggle. They murdered him in cold blood. So you don't want to miss that. That's on Sunday at Gallery E14. And that film is called Billy Bedso. And we also are doing a youth night with We're doing that with Youth Together, that's at Skyline High School, and we're also at Eastside Arts Alliance on the 26th, showing this great film called New Yorican Basket, and talking about how basketball was used as a way to bring together the diaspora, but also what the politics were on the island at that time, and it's an, an amazing story, talking about our resilience and our connections no matter where Puerto Ricans are. So Eli, people can join part of this movement even by being part of this culture work because I'm sure there'll be opportunities to plug into actions and to meet others that are working to address the many factors affecting recovery on the island. But give us a list of things that you think that people listening can do to support and to be part of the work being done to not just rebuild, but also reimagine the relationship that the U.S. and Puerto Rico have. That's it. Um, we got to be creative, and that's why the artists are so important. We got to rethink a, a new way forward. We got to think outside of the box, and you all can help do that by showing up. Please show up. Continue showing up to the events. We had a sold-out evening at Grito de Lares with musical resistance and bomba and storytelling. Um, 
So I know that the Bay is, is right there, always ready to hear the best way and, uh, and help us imagine ways forward. You know, uh, collaboration and coalition building is so important. So we look forward to building with folks in Hawaii. They're going through similar colonization and, and unjust laws like the Jones Act and people in the Philippines and, and folks in Palestine. And when we think about colonization around the world, we, we need to continue to tell those stories together and together we have a stronger voice. So I think that's why the Bay Area is so great is because we can come together and have those discussions. I want to thank the Bay Area and especially the Puerto Rican diaspora for stepping up in this time of need. And I look forward to continue building with you. And what are ways that people can still stay connected to the work you're doing as well as defend PR? So during the Fist Film Festival, which is starting the 12th this Friday, um, we'll be collecting funds for the storytelling project that we're doing in Comedia. So if you can make it out to that, that's one way to plug in to, to help work that's being done on the island. But if you're at home and you're not going to be able to make it to the event, I say please donate to the Maria Fund. And they've been doing great work getting the money to the people that need it most. So I, I endorse the Maria Fund. And, and please come out. We'd love to see you. We'd love to connect with you and, and help bring these stories to your kitchen table, to your community, to your workspace, and let people know the realities happening here on the island of Borinque. You can see all of the events posted at FistUpTV. That's one word, F-I-S-T-U-P-T-V. Put that in Facebook, and you'll see the list of the events come out. They're happening at Gallery E14 on Friday at 7 o'clock. Um, that's the opening night. And then we're there again on Sunday doing Filiberto. And on the 26th, we're at Eastside Arts Alliance. So we're, we want to thank uh, Aquanati Foundation for helping make that happen at Soul Collective. And we want to thank you, the community. These nights are free, and we're just here to bring you stories and, and bring you what the reality of what's happening on the island. So come out, and I'll see you there. Thank you, Eli. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. You're on the island gracias now. Thank you for being our link and for all the work you do. Thank you. La Casa Chronicles, KPFA. Y todo, mi gente. Nos vemos pronto. de la entraña a nuestra querida isla hermana camarada solidaridad ya ya hey. Pero estoy cansado Hasta cuando aceptamos seguir como esclavo No quiero vivir comiendo miga No quiero llorar por nuestra vida Si no luchamos no sobrevivimos If we don't struggle we die in my people Hasta cuando compañeros vamos a seguir siendo Lo que olvida la tortura el infierno Yo no quiero colonización Solo quiero liberación Don Pedro Albizu lo dijo mejor No importa ser fuerte si no hay valor 
must be brave, United Hermanos, South Bronx of the North of Chicago, mad love to La Isla del Encanto, ghetto brothers, take it out with the canto. Benji, since you've been gone, we've been hit with a terrible storm. The guns is drawn, the war is on, and we still don't know what side we on. We've been fighting for pound water. They stopped our supplies at borders. Our nights is hard. Rosario's daughter had a baby on the couch in the flood of the corner of the house. Maria blew the hood and the fucking roof out. The president be saying, see, he bugged the fuck out. We hungry like wild wolves foaming from the mouth. Everything's gone now. It's really on now. The roots of the trees of the land that you love has only been torn out. Yeah, Hans Point to Humble Park, rubbing up PR, wasn't far but off, had it in my heart. Una vita internacional, amor a toda la diáspora. Oscar un mito, un paseo boricua, escuchando historias sobre Lolita. Bate urbano organizando en los barrios de Chicago. Luego Filiberto asesinado. En New York, the feds went wild. Sopinas, investigaciones, tracking the doors of a few other homies. No cooperamos, colonizadores. Nunca hablamos con los opresores. Oye, defend the PR hasta la muerte. With my brothers, words to yellow, Benji, yo. familia y yo visitamos tías, tíos y compadres, la primera pregunta que nos pregunta, ¿Quieres una coca? Mandan a sus hijos a la tienda de licor en la esquina de la cuadra, con dos dólares arrugados y monedas en sus bolsillos. Nos reímos de quien se desmayó borracho en la última fiesta familiar y hablamos de nuestra familia en Guerrero mientras tomamos veneno carbonotada. Simplemente no es buena educación no tener refresco cuando tienes visitantes rechazalo y te clasifican un martillado. Acepta todo lo que te ofrece. Coca, papitas fritas con chile, limón y sal, los dulces mexicanos que traímos de México la vez pasada. Utilizamos dulces como una manera de demostrar que nos importa. Diabetes y la obesidad es la última cosa en nuestras mentes. Panza llena, corazón contento en nuestros latidos. Golpean al ritmo de cumbia mientras mamá cocina sus sopes y enchiladas. Simplemente no se siente como una cena sin la botella de Coca-Cola. Sin las burbujas de gas que ahogan nuestras narices y bocas. Ese sentimiento de gárgaras que apodera nuestras gargantas. Coca en botellas de vidrio de México que nos da ese sabor y sensación de ahogar. Creemos que esto posiblemente no nos puede hacer daño sin darnos cuenta de que ni siquiera podemos leer los ingredientes en la etiqueta. Olvidemos que nuestro hogar 
es el país número uno obeso en todo el mundo y estamos aquí en los Estados Unidos viviendo a la misma altura. Entra en mi pueblo y surtirse del especial de cuatro botellas de Coca-Cola por un dólar. Echa los jugos y servitas para que los niños coman después de la escuela para las próximas dos semanas. Mamá y papá están demasiado ocupados trabajando 10 horas o más para limitar el consumo de comida chatarra. No desperdices la comida, eso me costó. Demasiado ocupado tratando de ganarse la vida que vivir sanamente. Cualquier tipo de alimento que nos mantiene en movimiento aunque nos muevamos. Un poco más lento que el resto del mundo. O luchamos para completar las tareas diarias, seguimos avanzando. Y eso es todo lo que importa. Desesperadamente buscamos casa en nuestros platos y tazas. La cena se han convertido en una expedición donde lambemos los platos y tragamos tazas de nostalgia, nostalgia que ni siquiera es de nuestro país. Nuestras lenguas han sido colonizados por la creencia que este vaso de coca es el hogar. Olvida que los que nos presidieron solo bebieron agua. Estamos matando a nosotros mismos tratando de encontrar partes de nosotros en una botella de Coca-Cola de 2 litros. Cena en México. Siempre se cocinaba y se servía bajo la luz de la luna. Pero ahora, estamos más de mil millas de distancia. Finalmente, tenemos esa hora que hemos estado esperando todo el día. Cena familiar. Todas las mujeres llaman a sus hijos lejos de la tele. Anuncios de Coca-Cola, oso polares jugando en el fondo por la cuarta vez esta hora. Los tinteos y ruido de platos y tenedores ahogan todos los anuncios. El sonido de risas de las historias de niñez en México llena nuestras barrigas. Encontramos hogar en cada una de nuestras historias. No hay necesidad de sacar esa botella de Coca-Cola. No hay necesidad de casi matar a nosotros mismos en busca de recuerdos de casa. This is La Rosa Chronicles Calendar of Community Events. The SoMarts Dia de los Muertos exhibition opens on October 13th. It'll be at SoMarts at 934 Brandon Street. And on Friday, October 12th, from 6 to 9, this Friday, there'll be an opening reception. The theme of this year's ex exhibition is honoring our ancestors by fighting for the future. The Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts also has Day of the Dead altars and reception. They open on Friday, October 19th from 6 to 9 p.m. And the Mission Cultural Center is at 2868 Mission Street. Their reception this year's Dia de los Muertos event is called Remember Us, Recuérdanos. Saturday, October 13th, El Paseo Artístico, which just happens all along 24th Street in San Francisco's Mission District, will be celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day with local Indigenous artists showcasing in different mediums and genres, as well as highlighting the power and leadership of women in the Mission District. There will be events throughout the day, and it's all free, and you can find out more when you look up Paseo Artístico. Brass Arte will be putting on Brazil, Sam Brazil Roots of Samba. This event on October 27th is at Dance Mission Theater. It was a presentation of dance and music performance that explored the diversity and evolution of Brazilian Samba, from its roots in Afro-Brazilian slave traditions to the dazzling display of technique, sensuality, and power it has become. You can find out more at brasarte.com. 
And on November 3rd at the Richmond Art Center, there will be an opening for What is Border Art? A View of Califas from San Francisco Bay. This is going to be an opportunity to see curators, writers, and critics for a lively roundtable conversation in conjunction with the Richmond Art Center about art of the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. This is November 3rd from 11 to 12.30 at the Richmond Art Center. That has been a community calendar, and if you'd like to find out more about events happening in your comunidad, you can follow our show, La Raza Chronicles, on Facebook. That's finding us at facebook.com slash La Raza Chronicles and liking us there, and you can find out about other events happening in the Bay. You can also listen to this show again by going to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles or following us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and searching La Raza Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. This week's show has been produced by Alexandra Ruiz Castillo, Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznid, and Brenda Iescas. Muchas gracias y buenas noches.